It is beautiful, isn't it? I keep it just the way it was. It's as if she'd just gone out for a while. You startled me. This was her favourite. I laid it out for her that night. Go on, hold it. Touch it. Welcome to Book Club. So we've done Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. What a good name. It is a good name. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was definitely aware of her, but had no, I hadn't read anything of hers before. Okay. Same, just knew the name. So this book was written in 1938 and she was born in 1907. She was born to a theater family. Her parents were actors. Her family friend was Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> so she, she was actually technically a lady, I think at some point when she married her husband, but a very well-to-do background. And she, her first success was Jamaican Inn, which eventually gets adapted as well. And then she published Rebecca after that, which was adapted by Alfred Hitchcock, who read the proof copy because he was friends with her father and adapted it from that. And then other books which were adapted as well, Frenchman's Creek, Hungry Hill. She wrote a bunch of plays. There's My Cousin Rachel, which has been adapted quite a few yeah. times. The Breaking Point, The Scapegoat, and in 1963, Hitchcock adapted a short story of her, The Birds, which I have seen. <laughs> and she wrote an, one other book in the 60s, and then she had a nervous breakdown in the 1980s and then died in 1989. Uh -huh. And was rumored to be bisexual as well. So she had a, she's an interesting woman. And she had quite an obsession for Cornwall, which is a setting for most of her books. Sean, would you like to start talking about the book? I can do, yeah. Let me get the notes. I apologize for, I mean, this is a hard one because it's, it's a lot of book. It's all about the details, really. It's sort of the devil and the details of the story. So it's very hard to summarize. Boring, boring details. I know, but so Sean has to be the one to, I'm, I'm giving him the hard work of breaking it down. You go. Off I go. Um, I'll open with the official blurb to kind of give a, an overarching idea. Last night I went, oh, I'll start again. <laughs> uh, last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. The novel begins in Monte Carlo, where our heroine is swept off her feet by the dashing widower Maxim de Winter and his sudden proposal of marriage. Orphaned and working as a lady's maid, she can barely believe her luck. It's only when they arrive at his massive country estate that she realises how large a shadow his late wife will cast over their lives, presenting her with a lingering evil that threatens to destroy their marriage from beyond the grave. Yes. An atmospherically wonderful <laughs> summary. Yeah. Well, anyone who knows about the book, she's never named. And this summary, because I've read a few other summaries and people talking about, about the book, and this one chooses to call her a heroine, which I don't know if that's... I would call her that. I'd call her a protagonist. Narrator, yeah. Protagonist. Mrs. De Winter, number two. Well, we watched the film with subtitles and that's how they refer to her. She's Mademoiselle. Mm -hmm. And then, she, and then subtitles. she's- Subtitles? Why did you watch it with subtitles? I just like to read films. 
Okay. We, we we watch everything with subtitles, TV, movies, stuff, everything. It's usually because I'm eating biscuits at the same time. <laughs> you can't hear over the crunching. Exactly. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll go over the summary. Stop me if you want to, but it feels sensible to maybe do the first chunk until we get to Mandley. Yes, okay. Sure. <clears throat> um, begins with the famous line, last night I dreamt I went to Mandley again. The unnamed narrator dreaming of the ruins of Mandalay. Together the couple is travelling through Europe, staying in a small hotel to avoid meeting people they both know. They've, they've recently been through a period of great suffering, connected to the destruction of Mandalay. She misses her dog Jasper and remembers meals at Mandalay and thinks of Mrs Danvers, a man called Favelle, and wonders where they are now. Mrs Danvers, we learn, was always comparing the heroine to someone named Rebecca. Her thoughts turn to her younger self years before, and the real story begins, told in a flashback. She travels across Europe as a companion to Mrs. Van Hopper, a wealthy American lady. The two women come to Monte Carlo. Mrs. Van Hopper is described as a nosy, gossipy, crude woman. She recognises a wealthy man at the hotel, Mr. Maxim de Winter. Maxim is the owner of the famous estate Mandley and is mourning the loss of his wife from the previous year. Mrs. Van Hopper tries to invite him to tea, but he brushes them off. Mrs. Van Hopper developed <laughs> influenza, so she decides to go off to lunch on her own. She runs into Maxim, and he invites her to, to drive along the coast. Can I describe Maxim? I love how they described him. Yeah, by all means. Because I, I, I copied out the little sentences. He belonged to a walled city of the 15th century, a city of narrow cobbled streets and thin spires where the inhabitants wore pointed shoes and worsted hose. <laughs> His face was a resting, sensitive medieval in some strange, inexplicable way, and I was reminded of a portrait seen in the gallery I'd forgotten where of a certain gentleman unknown. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> she's good, isn't she? You not think? Sean doesn't agree, but we'll come to that. She discovers a book of poetry in the car's glove compartment with a notation to Max from Rebecca. She, he lets her keep it to read. In the days following, they see each other increasingly as Mrs. Van Hopper is bed. When they talk about Miss Van Hopper crushing her cigarettes in the cold cream in her sick room, it was so creepy and yeah, weird. And <laughs> Thinking of like the ash sort of going into, yeah. It's like a real like, texture thing, isn't it? Mm. Uh, in the days following, they see each other increasingly as Mrs. Van Hopper is bedridden. She starts to fall helplessly in love with him. She starts to compare herself to Rebecca, his first wife. Abruptly, Mrs. Van Hopper decides that they need to leave Monte Carlo to go and visit her nephew in New York. Completely distraught at the possibility of leaving Maxim, she rushes to his room to tell him the news. He proposes to her, to her and they go to see Mrs. Van Hopper. Uh, deliver the news to Mrs. Van Hopper that, that, we get, that she'll be going with him. The story, story skips along with their honeymoon in France and Italy and they're going to Mandalay. She is welcomed by a huge number of staff at the door and the Goli of the Goliath mansion. She's completely intimidated. We meet Fifth, is it Fifth? Frith? Frith. Uh, the butler and Mrs. Danvers, the housekeeper, or house manager. Uh, they are also met by two Cocker Spaniels. We never get the name of the older one, do we? It's just Jasper, the younger one. No, just Jasper. Just the older dog. Um, Mrs. Danvers is described as stiff, gaunt, and hollow-eyed. They go and take tea in the library. Oh, in a skull, skull head? Skeleton head? Yeah, something like that. Skeletal features. 
Mrs. Danvers takes her on tour of her bedroom in the newly renovated East Wing. She senses a uh, she senses a manner of hostility and resentment. Uh, Maxim and she go to dinner, and she ponders Rebecca and replacing her as the mistress of mistress. I mean, yeah, I the way because there's the bit he starts describing Mandalay when they're in the car together. He just describes the features and the the flora and the surroundings of it. Not really the people, the personalities, but the house itself being like an entity. And I felt so transported. And like you said, the textures of how she writes is really impressive. And I, cause it's so light and airy in the beginning, obviously when they're in Europe until you get this repressive nature of mandolin as a bit of a breakdown, which I really enjoyed. And her, cause she has a, she's more of a person almost in, when she's in Europe because she talks about her sketching and her interests, but then that kind of disappears. Like she stops being interested in being a person <laughs> or herself anymore. I don't know what you thought of the first part. With like the first few pages, I don't, I couldn't even tell you why, but like I really struggled to get into it. And I was thinking, oh God, I was really excited to do this and it's gonna be like a massive slog. And then as soon as I got past that very first, like the prologue where she's dreaming of going back to Mandalay and it becomes a little bit more- Grounded. I guess less dreamlike and a bit more, there's a narrative to follow and you can kind of understand it a bit more. Then I was fully invested. And I like, I really love the way she writes. I think the prose is really beautiful. Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't, similar to Thumbs you, I, I didn't love me. the prologue. I had to kind of get through that to get into the actual story. Yeah. I think you have no context you don't really know what's happening but I did go back and reread the prologue after I finished do you like it more yes it makes more sense because he's clearly gone kind of mad he's and she's the adult in the situation he and he sounds a little bit deranged I think anyone would be after the event Sean what is your opinion of the first bit um uh, I found all the stuff in Europe quite hard going, if I'm honest. Interesting. Um, I, it's, it's, I, I think the problem with the opening of, of the Europe stuff is it's very much not my my type of kind of narrative and story. The kind of the the, the lives and times of aristocracy and ladies in waiting and stuff. I just found it dreadfully dull. I mean, this is there's no ladies in waiting in the 1930s. <laughs> no, but it, but it feels like that kind of like... Yeah, even the concept of like having a companion yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah, I yeah, do yeah. love the line because people talk about like Deputy de Moray. She's kind of trolling ro- romantic fiction. And she there's a line where she says, where he says to her, I didn't realize you could pay for companionship which is such, she's making fun of herself, I think, in her writing a little bit. Like, it's ridiculous the way class works. Mm. Especially in the, well, still now in a different way, but particularly in those times when they had those hierarchies and weird relationships between people. Yeah. Um, I found it very dry. Um, To people listening, I'm making a face. (laughs) (laughs) My... My biggest problem with it, I, I think the writing is very good. I think her prose is, is beautiful, but every 
every chapter, and I think this is present throughout the book, has like, is one third build up, a thing happens, and then another third, the escalation. And every chapter takes that, that beat structure. Yeah, it's satisfying. Yeah, exactly. Mm, it, it feels like half the book is build up. Mm -hmm. Like, especially coming after last month's book, where I don't it's remember like, what did we talk about last month? Uh, the devil all the time. Okay. Well, I've done some stuff in between that. <laughs> so, no, that wasn't last month's book because I didn't do that. Last month's book was the one you liked that had a whole page or like five pages. Oh, the same I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> yeah, you can get away with that though when your book is one fifth the length. Yes. I honestly didn't feel like this. Was me neither. Reading. It took me like maybe three days, like solidly sitting down reading it. I'm really yeah. it. I, it. It felt longer to me because even if I enjoyed reading a chapter, when I was done with a chapter, like I had to force myself to go back and read another. Really? Yeah, really. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, don't get me wrong. I thought the film was dreadful. <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about the film yet. We, we're not done talking about the book. <laughs> Um, but at least it was only two hours. Two hours and ten minutes? <laughs> Three minutes. Three minutes. <laughs> so, okay, so we're in Manderley. What happens in Manderley? We'll just give a bullet point so we can sort of talk about the characters and the basic events. Okay. Once we arrive in Manderley, uh, she feels adrift in the estate, frequently losing her way, feeling ashamed of her inadequacies and hiding from the servants. She thinks everyone is laughing at her. Maxim's sister, Beatrice, and her husband Giles come to visit, and the estate manager, Frank Crowley. I love Beatrice, by the way. Beatrice. <laughs> I, she was the one I felt the most kindred with. I was like, Beatrice, you're this straight-talking woman. You're so funny, and just she doesn't care what people think of her. <laughs> Beatrice, Beatrice encourages her to stand up for herself and not be scared of Mrs. Danvers. She and Maxim go for a walk around the estate, and he shows her Happy Valley, a stunning va valley where a stream runs through and the azaleas grow wild. They then come up on a beach and Jasper, one of the Cocker Spaniels, runs off. She runs after him. She stumbles upon a mentally handicapped man, Ben, a son of one of the tenants. She finds an old boathouse slash cottage and manages to find some twine to make a leash for Jasper to bring him back. She starts to learn more details about Rebecca as she and sometimes Maxim start to make social calls. Frank Crowley reveals that Rebecca used to host moonlight picnics by the boathouse and was an avid sailor. The boat she used to use was the one she drowned in. Yes. So I thought it was great tension of when they were in the cottage and she's about to open the second door. I generally thought that there was like someone waiting for her, which they definitely tried to do in the film, but didn't work. <laughs> was it just that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was no one in so, the second room in the book at all, I don't think. Ben, ben was in the boathouse. Okay. Uh, Jasper goes in and barks still, yeah. and then he comes out with her. Yeah. I I thought Ben was an incredibly interesting character. In the book. In, in the book, yeah. yeah. Very much more so than in the, in the movie, yeah. And it just, um, I think he gives her an opportunity to start growing into her own as well because he's like a non-judgmental character so if she can kind of just even though if he doesn't understand what she's saying she can kind of dialogue with him similarly to frank which you're getting as you're in mandalay with her that she's 
because she's so nervous about other people that you have these two characters and Beatrice a little bit to an extent that she can kind of slowly develop a comfort level with this society. Frank Crowley reveals that Rebecca used to host moonlight picnics by the boathouse and she was an avid sailor. The boat she used to use was the one she drowned in. Her body was washed up miles away two months later and Maxim had to go to another town in order to identify her. Mrs. Danvers hire a new maid, Clarice. She accidentally breaks a small statue on her writing desk when she was trying to put away some books Beatrice got her. She hides the broken pieces in an envelope in the back of the desk. Mrs. Danvers notices the missing piece and blames one of the servants, Roberts. She is forced to confess, ashamed and embarrassed. This definitely felt much more intense in the book. And I think this is the line which I thought really summed up what she was dealing with when she's sort of trying to dialogue with him and she's thinking in her head, the desperation to be old, to be wise when you are young, we would never be together, he as a man and I as a woman standing shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with no gulf between us. I did not want to be a child. I wanted to be a wife, his mother. I wanted to be old. And she just can't feel his equal. She wants to grow up. And I think it, she really captures what it means to be 21 or that age when you want to be an equal with the people around you. And you really see see that, which her like trying to hide away things like that, like, oh, I made a mistake. And she just doesn't want to, she's so scared to confess to that misstep. Mm. Poor Robert. Poor Robert. Yeah, another lovely character. I feel bad for him. The, um, her, her problem throughout the entire book, really, until, until the confession, really, is that she feels like Maxim's guest mm-hmm. rather than like... Mm. That it's her home. She feels very much like she's visiting and doesn't want to be a nuisance or... Well, she's just... I know this is the whole point of the book, but, like, not even just his guest, like, trying to replace someone who was already mm. there and already did all these things better than her. Yeah, yeah. And then she constantly compares herself to a dog, like, waiting for its master to pat her on the head. Mm. And you really feel that. And, I mean, he's clearly kind of a moron. She's kind of a moron. <laughs> in him not realizing what's happening because it's it's sort of making fun of these type of romances because it's not I don't I wouldn't consider it romantic this relationship well like the portrayal of it in the book that's why it feels so much more authentic than I know we're not talking about the film yet than in the film which very much sexes up the relationship if you don't get any of that like desperation but of her like thinking she just wants him to like pay her some attention because he's always there and he is mm. paying like yeah it, this felt so much more the, the layered book, and interesting the book does a very nice job of, of building up that kind of that lacking in their relationship mm-hmm. so that when you get to the point when they almost have like a role reverse and she he confesses to her there is a switch in their relationship and yeah, the power dynamic definitely and if it was more of a connection from that point if it was like that's been the thing that's been between them the whole time this kind of untold truth but like, it's even like into the proposal doesn't he like i'm trying to marry you you little fool yes. or something like that and, and like the, in the book that's so you don't quite know how to read that or like that could be a really horrible thing to say whereas in the film it's said in this like gushing romantic like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's because i love you yeah, it's, whereas, much, it's much more of an obviously nicely phrased Yeah, whereas thing. in a way, in the book, it's like he's just critiquing her once more. Yeah. Well, the, what the book does is 
you can read it in lots of different ways. Mm. Whereas the film has to play it yeah, one I way. Yeah, I know, they've chosen their path. But yeah. anyway, more on that later. Uh, Maxim goes to London and she decides to go to the beach again with Jasper. She runs into Ben. Ben asks if she's going to send him to the asylum like the other woman threatened. When she arrives back home, she sees Mrs. Danville inside with a mysterious man. It is Jack Favell. They run into each other in the house. He is overly friendly and chatty and tries to invite her for a drive, but she refuses. He tells her to keep his, his visit a secret. I thought she did a good job in kind of refusing him in the book for the most part. Mm. She she was suspicious of him because she sees that he's inside the house and so she's on automatically sort of on red alert and she's sort of like, oh, this is not right. Why was uh, he with Miss Danvers? And that's a hit because she only catches him when she's like hiding behind the door. And there's a little, there's that tension of her hiding and hearing his footsteps and you don't know if they will end up meeting. So you're sort of like, ah. <laughs> and then what, they're both startled by each other. And then what do you do? She decides to go and visit the old bedroom of Rebecca. She finds it perfectly preserved. Mrs. Danvers surprises her in the room. She shows her all of Rebecca's things. She says she thinks that Rebecca is haunting them. Your thoughts on that? Oh, I thought that bit was so good. You wanted to see him, you need only ask. And then like, the way she makes her touch things and like, yeah, so good. That's great. <laughs> she drives with Beatrice to visit Gran. B tells her that Jack was Rebecca's cousin. Gran is nearly blind and forgetful. She starts to demand where Rebecca is. When she returns home, she finds that Maxim found out about Jack and had, had been in the house and forbids Mrs. Danvers from letting this him in. This is sort of a point that he didn't realise that she had met with Jack. He just found out that his car had been in the house and automatically confronts Miss Danvers about it. Which is also to his, like, him being a moron, like, say, he should have, like, gone to her and talked to her about it said oh this guy came and he never knows has an open dialogue with her about anything communication is not his song. I mean and he, the only time he does is at the end and that's out of desperation I don't think he would have if that the events that came about hadn't come about do you think do you think he would have told her if they hadn't found the body no because why would he yeah he only tells her because he needs something yeah or doesn't know what else to do you think otherwise mm, I don't know I do feel like, I feel like almost that he's distancing himself from her because he worries that he will tell her. And then mm. and he needs that kind of catalyst to kind of prompt him to reveal it. Well, I think that's kind of what I mean. I think he only would have told her if there was a breaking point. It might not have been that breaking point, mm. but some he wouldn't just tell her out of the honesty of his heart. Something would have had to degenerate. I think he would have got there regardless. I think it might have taken years. He would have cracked. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's why that's why I think he regrets them going back to Mandley so quickly, because as soon as they're back there, it's all he kind of thinks about, mm. and it puts that wedge between. He doesn't feel like the man that she fell in love with in Monte Carlo anymore, because he's not the same man anymore. Yeah, I mean, he was never a great man in the first place. <laughs> um, they host Lady uh, Cr- Crawley. 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 Did I write Colin? Crawley. Sorry. Crawley. Crowen, isn't it? Oh, Crowen, yeah. No, no, because Crawley's Frank's. Surname. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm mixing up the two. Crowen. Uh, they host Lady Crowen, who suggests that they host the costume ball that used to occur at Manly before Rebecca died. Frank says he'll take care of all the details. She is just to organise her costume. 
Mrs. Danvers suggests she make her costume from the portrait of Maxim's aunt. When she comes down to the party, she shocks everyone, having not realised that the costume Rebecca, it was the same costume Rebecca wore for the last ball. One absolute stone cold bitch. I know. She's really, I think she's more evil in the book for me. Like, one idiot. Yeah. She's so naive in the book in the sense that she's like, oh, Miss Danvers is suddenly being nice to me. I'm not suspicious at all. Yeah. Yeah. But I really thought the portrait was going to, because obviously we don't see yeah. it, so it's just visual. I really thought it was just going to be of Rebecca. Oh, that's no. a, yeah. It was slightly cleverer than that. The, por- the portrait gets mentioned a few times by other people, mm. and so you know it's I kind of hadn't the noticed arms. it, I guess. Because but... I don't think they say it's her aunt until right as it's happening. Yeah, the, the, like the, this was very jarring that she's so easily believed. But she is, like... She married him after a week. She is naive and she is easily led. No, she but is... like she's the central narrator, and like up until this point, mm. she's been telling us how she doesn't like Danvers. And then the first time Danvers suggests something nice, she goes, Brilliant. But she does like because Danvers knows how to run the house. Like even when she's like choosing the sauce for the meat, she's like, Whatever you think, or the menus, whatever you yeah. think. So maybe she. This is just another instance of her being like, well, whatever you Well, think. she's also like the puppy that's kicked, that comes back to you. Like Miss Danvers has kicked her, the puppy, and she's so desperate for anyone to offer a helping hand or be kind to her that she just goes back to this sort of abuser. No one else is helping her, are they? No, we shouldn't ask anyone else for help, even people she likes. <laughs> No, she wants to surprise them. Yeah, There's also, surprised. right next to this is probably my favourite scene in the book because it just shows the, the fact that most of the book is really her imagination and her imagination destroying her and her marriage because she's constantly just in her head cycling through things. And there's a bit where she's at the dining room table with Maxim and she's imagining him having a conversation with Rebecca, but she doesn't know that she's like physically pretending to be Rebecca and like mouthing the words. And then he says to her, like, what are you doing? Because he notices her like acting out the scene. And like the, the best bit about that scene is him saying that he doesn't like how she was acting and how she looked in that yeah. moment, which is like when mm-hmm. you first lose it, like Rebecca was awful. Yeah. Because he, he, he accuses her of having the wrong kind of knowledge in her eye. Mm. And she's like, what are you talking about? And because she's obviously sort of taken on a bit of Rebecca as she's imagining her, which upsets him seeing her act like Rebecca, which I thought was so eerie and would have loved to see <laughs> in the adaptation. But I thought that was a great way to show the haunting, like a ghost, but not a real ghost, but it's sort of Rebecca's mm-hmm. taking over her body or she's trying to, she's trying to have Rebecca take over her because in her head, she thinks Rebecca is what she's supposed to be. So Maxim becomes extremely upset and she hides in her room. Beatrice manages to coax her down, finding her another dress. Maxim doesn't speak to her the entire night and they never and never comes to bed. She confronts Mrs. Danvers about the costume. Mrs. Danvers lashes out at her, trying to get her to jump out of a window. In the nick of the t- nick of time, they hear the sound of guns from the cove. A ship has run aground. She decides to go down to the water. Maxim has taken an injured uh, sailor to the doctors. She returns to Manderley 
and finds out that the wreck of another ship underneath the wreck has uh, been identified as Rebecca's boat and there is a body in the cabin. Maxim comes home to find out the news. He reveals to her that he shot Rebecca and sabotaged the boat to drown, to make it appear that if she drowned. He reveals the truth about their relationship. On the outside, she put on a face to be the perfect wife, but really she was gallivanting in London with shady friends and uh, maintaining multiple lovers. She and Jack were lovers. She was cousin, her to... first cousin. Let's, first let's just cousin. talk about that. I feel like in the 1930s, that was not okay anymore. It's not okay now. I but I mean, I realize historically, like aristocratic families, there's a little inbreeding. Mm-hmm. But I feel like by then, that was not cool. Well, when I initially read it, I, I said this to you, I was like, because they, back in the day, they would all just call each other cousin, like, as a matter of course, even if they weren't related, like if you just felt like close to someone, that was how you expressed it. So I thought, oh, it's fine. And then when they made a point of saying first cousin, I was like, oh, it's not fine. Yeah. But, and when you add to that, the fact that Danvers essentially raised both of them from seemingly yeah, like- Oh yeah, they age. were children together. Yeah, yeah. Like brother and sister. Yeah, yeah they grew up much closer than like a traditional first cousin relationship yeah. would, would be. But apparently it really bonded them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she and Jack were lovers. She also tries to seduce Giles and Frank, although it seems like both of them were fairly game. Um, <laughs> uh, one night he confronted her in the cottage. He proceeded to see that he would never get out of the marriage as she was pregnant. They get a call from Colonel. J- is it Julian? Ju- Julian? <laughs> I was just call- I was just in my head say Julian because it's spelled. Yeah. I would just. But I like Julian. Julian. The, the, the wine makes me want to say he's it like the, that. He's the magistrate. Um, yes. Um, ask, asking him about the body he originally identified. Reporters start calling. She finally takes charge of the house as her husband has fallen to shambles. Then Julian <laughs> discuss the inquest. Just as the news of the body being Rebecca's is all over the newspapers. I feel like I'm watching <laughs> They go down to the town for the inquest and the man who worked on the ship says it was deliberately sunk. The coroner says that it was suicide. While Maxim is out burying Rebecca's body, she is at home alone and Jack shows up. He doesn't believe the suicide and wants Maxim brought to court. He threatens them. Maxim comes back and Jack shows them the note Rebecca sent him, telling him to meet her the night. In the I do think this. Sorry, I do think this scene was really drawn out. A little bit of the dialogue with him. They could have. Oh. The unpacking. Yeah. Yeah. This was my favourite scene of the book. Wow! <laughs> we are just on opposite ends of you tonight. Opposite <laughs> ends. Um, Why? Why is this your favourite? Because it... uh, this felt like the first moment where like the threads were being pulled together. Okay. Like, it felt like we'd had so much set up of all these characters and uh, bits and pieces. It felt like this was being drawn together. This scene also has my least favourite plot point in it. The cancer. No, no, no. Essentially, Jack turns up with this note that Rebecca sent him on the night that she dies, yeah. saying, I've got important news to tell you. Come and see me. He then establishes how easy it was for him to sneak into that cottage to have sex with her prior to this. And nobody says, this note is the best evidence that you killed her. That's true. <laughs> like, nobody <laughs> thinks... Yeah, that's great motive. You turned up, she had news you didn't like, so you killed her. And then he's the, the shadiest character we've met in the entire book, and no one once goes, 
Maybe it's the cousin who's been fucking her that killed her. Maybe it was him. And who got hurt, you'd think, from the next Pregnant. Yeah. Pregnant. Yeah. Ah, um, and killed her because was, he, you know, didn't want to have a child out of wedlock. Well, I, I thought, I thought, it, uh, if he turned up and she was pregnant and it was Maxim's kid, yeah. that's even more and reason could, for him to well, want to her. Not being funny, but back in the day, how would you know whose kid it was? Well, that's what she yeah. said, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, when she's talking um, to him, there's no way of knowing. Oh, well, it's not I wonder when DNA. paternity tests were invented. <laughs> I'm going to find yeah, out. Please Google yeah. that. During their confrontation, Rebecca says, you'll never know who's it is. Yeah. So I assume there's like... Which just well, shows how twisted she is. I think Rebecca's probably. more evil in the book than she is in the film. When? 1925. So Rebecca they could have out. had a paternity test. Well, I, well, it was developed okay. in 1925. I don't know if it was like fully functioning and accessible. But here's, here's the thing, though. Ma Maxim has been pushed to the point where he wants to kill her because it's better for his image for his wife to die than for him to reveal well, they've got a bad marriage. So he couldn't ever go to a doctor to say, I need the paternity tested, because then you immediately open yourself up to being like, your wife must have slept with at least one other person mm -hmm. for you to not be 100% sure it's yours. Yeah. So like, maybe, maybe that's what... It's more the like, stigma of it. Maybe guess, that's what she meant. Science. Like, you'll never, you'll never go through with finding right. out if it's yours. I also, I think it's such a bit of genius of de Maurier, sort of her making fun of how mad it is to be a rich person in this time that you are so both desperately unhappy and hate each other, but you are unwilling to get divorced. You have to murder the other person because you can't get divorced. She, she was never, it was, it was only Maxim who was unhappy. Yes, she, she was having a great time. She got everything she wanted out of, out of Well, just he, like, he was so obsessed with the image that he, he murder was the solution. Well, but he says, over in the film actually but he says about how like it's been generation upon generation yeah. of winter in that house and if he doesn't have an heir then it goes to bitch sisters and he's like but they're not de winters so like he would ruin the whole tradition of his family if he doesn't have a kid with his wife but clearly yeah. they seem like they've been married a while and she hasn't gotten pregnant and she's we she doesn't say that but she's That's not going to get pregnant he doesn't mm. know that yet so there is she knows that yet because she goes to the doctor and that's what the doctor tells her isn't yeah it? so well, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah i think she she wants maxim to kill her she's goading him into doing yeah. it because she knows she can't have a baby and that's the only that's... reason they're really yeah. staying married is so she can provide an heir because mm -hmm. in theory he should she can't have a child so save themselves get divorced and you know but she's gonna die anyway. yeah okay we'll we'll wrap up the book okay uh, Jack tells Colonel Julia why he thinks Maxim killed Rebecca and demands he further investigate. They call him Ben, who likely saw what happened. Ben scared, so says bad. nothing, and denies having seen Jack ever. Mrs Danvers comes in and brings Rebecca's diary to see where she had been earlier that day. They find that earlier she had gone to a doctor's appointment in London and hadn't told anyone. In London the next day, they find out from the doctor that Rebecca had a malformed uterus and would have only lived a few more months because she had cancer. Uh, Colonel Julien decides this is enough to prove it's a suicide. With the mystery solved, she and Maxim start driving back to Mandalay. The telephone, they telephone the house and find out that Miss Danvers has disappeared. As they get closer to Mandalay, she glimpses what she thinks is the sunrise. 
but eventually realizes it is mandily consumed in flames. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I went back and reread the beginning because then, because the beginning is how the film ends. So sort of, it's interesting to see the difference of how he's kind of dissolved into he she as she's strengthened and grown as a person he's completely weakened and become nothing really yeah i i loved it i loved like the physical presence of someone who's dead and someone she's never met and it's just her imagination that nearly destroys her that was amazing the writing just stunned blew me away <laughs> no i agree i'm on the same page but i knew you had some other thoughts Oh, no, I don't dispute. I thought the writing was like beautiful, um, but the, the the kind of pace and structure of it just didn't lend itself to me. Really, that's why I liked the kind of the last fifth or so. Once the once her body's discovered, I, I enjoyed that portion of the book so much more. That felt much more like things were happening, and there was like. It was at that point I was engaged with it. Everything up in there felt like a very long build-up. Oh, I could have read pages of the psychological stuff. But I was going to say, one thing I could have done without, less flower talk. A lot of flowers. I didn't know that much about Although the, the crushed azaleas and the smell of her. No, that was good because that was like a visceral thing that like you could imagine the smell. But like when she's just like walking through the gardens for like five pages telling you what flowers are where, I'm like, I don't Oh, know. also... The nails, the nail biting constantly throughout the book, her biting her nails. I didn't notice oh, that. Oh, yeah. Really? Did I write down there was like a line of her just biting? He, because he comments at the beginning when they first meet about her chewing her nails and her need, needing to st stop. And then I think when, I think after the ball, when Beatrice is maybe talking to her, she talks about like tearing at her fingernails. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, I guess I read it, but I didn't piece together that it was like multiple times. Which could have been a great little thing in the film to elevate. <laughs> like, again, it's the, all these like little tiny things build up this story. And I think there's a better pacing of how she strengthens herself. You can see the little interactions that's making her feel a little bit confident. It's not, she doesn't just like switch on, I think. Because she does say in the book, like, I have to stand up now. I can't fail anymore when he's doing the inquest. But I think it's a little more gradual than that. I think the... Yeah. Even it's... It starts from way before then. But in the book, it's all kind of influenced by other people. Whereas in the film, I almost feel like she has more autonomy in a weird way. Like, the way that she suggests that she's going to do the ball and that kind of yeah. thing. I felt like they skipped a lot of societal pressure and like stuff that was actually quite crucial there. But anyway, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, because it's like when she talks to Frank, he kind of helps her and Beatrice. She has these other conversations with other people, which are slowly revealing what her fantasy of what she's supposed to be is not actually, you know, she's fine. We like, they like her. She's yeah. a nice person. Unlike Rebecca, she has to stop feeling this inferiority complex What's the line that she uh, uses is when she's talking to Frank, she says, she's a, she says to him, I have to stop being a martyr to my own inferiority complex. Oh, that is good. really good. <laughs> it's all so good. I mean, I don't know why I'm shocked that that one line is good. But... I mean, it's constantly just like the way she says, Rebecca, 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 like the, mm -hmm. her, her 
food, the flowers, the dogs, her clothing, the smell, just she's everywhere. And I think anyone would start going slightly crazy. (laughs) It would be suck and there's no one there to tell you, like no one talks her through other than Danvers who's got like a complete ulterior motive. No one explains to her how that life is meant to be and she's not from that life. Yeah. So she's figuring it out as though she has to be Rebecca, not just a lady of the house. She has to be that lady of the house. And it's so his fault. It's 100% his fault. It's just, yeah. He's, because he... The romantic hero yeah. that some of the mediums have perhaps tried to paint him. Because it is, obviously, she's taking from the Brontes and, like, the swarthy, you know, quiet, brooding hero that every woman swoons oh. over, but actually is kind of a moron. You don't want to be married to those men. <laughs> they have women in their attics, for God's sake. Well, and in their boats. <laughs> He's completely making fun of Jane Eyre. Because <laughs> it is, it's kind of, it's like, it's great writing, but it's also funny when you're thinking about it because she's taking the piss about what is considered romantic fiction. Sorry, Sean is uninterested. Well, it's very romantic. <laughs> you, thought it- you thought it was very Romantic. The bit in Monte Carlo. The bit in Monte Carlo. Lovely, wasn't it? Do you want to talk to the three, not me? Swept off her feet, yeah. wasn't she? She was swept off her feet, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, if some like attractive old man wanted to take me out driving and teach me things, I'd be in. But, you know, maybe not marry him after a week, eh? To be fair, though, right, Mrs. Van Hopper seemed like oh, a yeah. bloody yeah. nightmare. To be fair, what else are you doing? You know, yeah. She has nothing else in you her know. life. She's making £90 a year, that's it. But no family, like nothing to fall back on. Yeah. I why not? I also found it interesting. So her description, like she's very pale, has kind of like lank, straight hair, is wearing like flannel constantly. She doesn't really describe her facial features. She just she's like very sweet and mousy looking, is in my head. Like imagine just like very plain. Like Lily James is too pretty. Yeah. Like she's she's just youthful looking. She's young and sweet. Looks like she'd be should be in a library or a bookstore. And yeah, and uh, there's one line because obviously we never know her name where he says to her, You have a very lovely and unusual name in the book. Oh, and I wish I want to know what it because, like, Daphne Jamarone must have imagined a name for her at some point to put that line in, particularly. Yeah, because then she replies, My father was a lovely and unusual man, which is quite interesting apparently it's all uh like oedipus or electra complex because de Maurier was like had this weird obsessive relationship with her father and it's been an odd relationship with her mother so it's like killing her mother to get to her father and her mother's rebecca and her father is maxim <laughs> oh, that <doesn't> nothing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah in comparison so we can talk about the film which i'm sure we have lots of opinions on <laughs> Much to say. So it was Rebecca was released on October 21st on Netflix. Just as we're getting a bit bored and we don't have enough content coming out. It was directed by Ben Wheatley, who did Free Fire, High Rise, Kill List, Sightseers, A Field in England. I only know about him because every guy in the shop seemed obsessed with him. <laughs> it's true. I have never seen uh, any of his films. <laughs> uh I, I like Ben Wheatley a lot. I think he's a good director, but his films have got progressively worse, in my opinion. Okay. His first batch of films, like A Field in England, Sightseers, Kill List, are all really great. Um, 
then High Rise is like a beautiful but flawed mess of an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is even worse than that. So it was adapted by... I said, sorry, Ben Wheatley. Well, I mean, I don't know these people. I don't want to know these people because otherwise I couldn't say the mean things I'm about to say. <laughs> it was adapted by Jane Goldman, Goldman, who is the wife... Jonathan yeah, wife. Jonathan Ross's wife. She's a screenwriter. Yeah. Oh. So, so, let's not... Oh, so quickly. She has pre... She's done some decent adaptations. She has done the Kingsman films. She's... Not... Not what I was referencing. <laughs> She's done Mrs. Peregrine. Not a good one to reference. She's done two X-Men films. X-Men First Class and Days of Future. Quite a joke. Uh, and Stardust, which awful movie. No, incorrect. Stardust is good. What? Man. I, I, wrote, I wrote Stardust. <laughs> is that the one to take that song? Yeah. Oh, no, that can be out. Good movie. No, we were right on the start. They referenced it as her script, but also to the screenplay so I don't know the level of involvement was a writer pair called Joe Shrapnel and Anna Waterhouse and they worked together on screenplay so I don't know if maybe they were like editing what she did and they've done things like Seberg, Frankie and Alice, Race, The Aftermath so they've done like slightly more gentler stories where all of her stuff is like big wham bam so I was I'm wondering if maybe they brought them on to try and make a little bit more subtle Well, poor job. So the story behind how it came to develop is that Ben Wheatley was doing some work, development work for Working Title, which is the production company that did the film. And they gave him Jane Goldman's script of Rebecca and they asked him if he was interested in doing it. And he was like, oh yeah. So that's the exciting story about how it came about. (laughs) It... It has been adapted in 1940, 1947, 1969, 1977, 2008. So there's been several Rebecca's. <laughs> and also, I did look everywhere to try and watch Never seen it. No, so I'm wondering if they purposely didn't have it available to compare. It might have come out looking better. Did you watch any of the other adaptations? No, I didn't. We should have done a Little Women on it. So it stars Lily James as Mrs. De Winter, who also was the star of the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. Yeah. You liked that, didn't you? She ruined one book I loved and one book I was indifferent to. <laughs> <laughs> she was also in Cinderella. What talk about and down she did a lot of Downton Abbey Pride and Prejudice and Zombies for someone whose name I know so well she actually hasn't been in that much but I think Downton was like what propelled her into being a household name and then she's kind of just gone from there she just has a period face that you can do a lot with not necessarily a great actress but Army Hammer plays Maxim De Winter, who was in Call Me By Your Name, The Man From Uncle, The Lone Ranger. Kristen, Kristen Scott Thomas plays Mrs. Danvers, who I would recommend watching the much better period film Gosford Park. Yes. Oh my God, I remember that from years ago. That's really good. She was also in The Other Boiling Girl, The English Patient, Darkest Hour. Great. Uh, and Dowd plays Mrs. Van Hopper. 
And then Tom Goodman Hill plays Frank Crawley, Sam Riley, who plays Jack Favell, who was, you guys weren't on this episode, but he was the Pierre Curie in Radioactive that we read. We were alive. Oh, yeah, you read it. Oh, my God. I totally forgot. Unbelievable. Sean Bothering Future. Well, that's the end of this one, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. So, yes, Sam Riley was in Radioactive, who I don't really, I didn't recognize him in this from that. So I read a few interviews with Ben Wheatley because I was, I'm trying to wonder what he was thinking. And there is a very good, I'm going to read out, he's, he said something specific about like when you're adapting a book to screen, though I don't know if he follows his own rules. So he says, but I guess the rest is kind of how you bring to screen a novel which is in the first person effectively. Do you slavishly translate the novel directly to screen? Or I mean, and what we found was there seems to be a gap between what the main character is saying and what she's doing that suggests that she's saying to us isn't necessarily true. So that gives you a license to change the book to a degree, but to try and chase the essence of the book rather than if you absolutely translate what she said on page and then you might miss the action point of the book. So it's essentially the idea like you want to capture the essence of the story rather than the literal of what's happening, which is, I feel like he did the literal, not the essence. Uh, he's... I don't feel like he is either. He, he does a bit of both, which is worse than doing... <laughs> you want to go to the ham for yeah. one, not... Yeah. So the one thing he explained changing, though, is that he made Army Hammer much closer to Lily James's age. And I don't know if he did that purpose. I feel like you got Army Hammer, so you just stuck with it. It wasn't really. He likes Army Hammer. Yeah. He's, in, he's been in a bunch of his other movies. So um, he just said that he said, I could go the rest of my life without seeing another film with an old man romancing a young woman. And... Okay, I didn't. I don't know if it. It didn't feel like he did it with that much thought. But also, like that's the plot. It, it's not like you're writing that in because you think it's like overdone or hackneyed. Like that is just the story. Yeah. Because again, and he remarks in other interviews, like she's making fun of like the cliche romance novel. Well, the point, the cliche romance novel, is this like worldly older man who sweeps off the feet this young naive girl. You got to make fun of it. The, the, the problem with that, the casting of Army Hammer and the James is that there appears to be no age difference between them. Yeah, I think it's three like, years. <laughs> yeah, like, I'd be hard-pressed to see. And, I mean, no disrespect, neither of them are strong enough actors. Not at all. To, 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 to present that kind of naivety and kind of lofty otherworldliness that Maxim de Winter needs to have to kind of... Yeah make those layers of their relationship. I mean, I think Maxim is meant to seem like this man has gone through some shit. He is a tortured soul. Army Hammer mm -hmm. looks like he has lived a very nice life. <laughs> he's easy yeah. He's just like driving around Monte Carlo. Yeah. And like, he can be like, he can be handsome, but like... Well, someone was comparing, <laughs> did you guys see Phantom Thread? No, I haven't. What's the name of the actor who's the lead in that? That that 
because that story which I did see is comparable because it's the sister and this older man much older who is like mistress at the time and it's there's the three person and they're the battle between her and the sister but he's this older man who's he's he's handsome and he's alluring but you can see he's not lived an easy life like he's not well and i army hammer never looks unwell (laughs) but we will start going through the film so it opens on mandalay and you have these flashes and you're kind of he's trying to get you into the dream sequence of it all and it has the same opening lines that you have in the book. And then you jump back to Monte Carlo and you meet Mrs. Van Hooper in the hotel room. And it's, it's a, you can already tell like the acting is very, it's like in a play, it's very over the top and hamming it up. And she first meets Max when she's in the hotel restaurant trying to make a reservation for them. And it's quite funny and sweet me cue, like a, rom-com and <laughs> then she you see her sketching a lot of and you have this dialogue of van hopper and max together and then she's sketching in bed again and she overhears van hopper making fun of her with her friends which is unique to the film and then you have van hopper she gets influenza and she's sick in bed vomiting and this was like another scene where I was sort of like, they could have, it's a psychological thriller, the book. They could have, I felt like he could have amped up some of the gross stuff, like of sort of seeping into the glossiness of everything because otherwise up until then and like as this is going on in Monte Carlo, it is a romantic film, 100%. There's very little that edges through that has that thriller aspect. She starts having lunch with... Maxim and she sort of talks about her job and her life and she's very charming and witty with him he's very charming and witty with her she knows everything about cars like you know a cool girl that she is you know I've only just learned everything from books that I've read so you know I'm quite knowledgeable about random things (laughs) she's very impressive and he starts telling her about Manderley And then she finds in the glove compartment of the car, this anthology of love poetry, which is the first time you kind of, you know, edge to him where he's like, put that down. But for me comes more off as stern than tortured. Like a, yeah. Well, the father complex. Mm. And then she starts lying to Van Hopper about her going out saying, oh, I'm just playing tennis at night. And he starts sending her notes of where to meet her and she's obsessing over these notes that he's written her and they go on lots of dates and then there's this scene at the beach (laughs) where they're out and she sees uh well he sees a couple having sex on a boat completely naked and then they go to the beach and she's in a very skimpy swimsuit with you know you get a bit of side boob (laughs) and they're making out as any good romantic film has. And Van Hopper then realizes, confronts her because she realizes that she's having this relationship with him and says, we're going to leave. This is inappropriate. And she's completely distraught and she runs to go see Maxim. And then he says, you know, come back with me to Mandalay to be my 
wife, you little fool. And throughout this, he's worn the same suit, which I found a bit bizarre. This weird fucking Dick Tracy yellow suit thing, yeah. You're what was that about? Like, Army Hammer's a good looking man, but he's not putting that suit on. I think it's meant to be like maximum holiday vibes. But he wears that suit in Mandley as yeah. well. Yeah. It's like a weird, like, light linen suit. Yeah, yeah, which totally works on in Monte Carlo. Yeah. Then, he, then he's rocking it around Mandley the other day. He's meant to be rich, Maxim. <laughs> buy more than one suit, I fella. I'd buy that if it was a, a sign of his, like, depressive episode. Yeah. You know, like, when people are really unwell and they just can't be yeah. bothered. But none, nothing else relating to that. Really yeah, yeah. Well, I think the her suit at the end is meant to that she puts on for the inquest is meant to mm. her yellow suit to his yellow suit. But I just wanted him to change his clothes a few times. <laughs> and then, okay, so then they tell Van Hopper about the engagement, and Van Hopper sort of confronts her and says, you know he only wants to marry you to fill the house and sort of about the yeah. ghosts. And then they skip the honeymoon thing, which is the same as the book, and they drive up to Manderley. I So Manderley is kind of a main character, the house. The house is a character. It's very important. I found this house kind of disappointing. Can I share my fun fact about yeah. the house? Mm-hmm. I can't remember it um, I know that before this, you did a no. Yes, home. it's the same house. <laughs> yes. Well, they. I mean, it's not fun when you already know it. It's but, they use know. a few houses though, so there are different rooms that they use from different like estates for it. So it wasn't always shot in that same place. Mm-hmm. But the way they describe it in the book is so otherworldly, and it's its own character, and it's just a little bit gray and oppressive and it's not inviting there's nothing alluring to me the the inside had that kind of fantastical element the outside was just like standard country manner but I guess I don't know why I expect it would be anything else because it it, of course it's going to look like it is it might be bigger or more imposing Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be a house at the end of the day isn't it so we have the staff greet them at the front of the house and you see Firth and there's a very romantic bit where it starts ringing and he, he needs to, he was like, let's do it properly. And he picks her up to take her over the threshold. Also, like that rain is so sudden. There's not even like a cloud in the sky. It's like someone the room. Yeah, like I found that really strange. I don't know if it was very good rain, like for fake rain. Mm. And I did, I didn't, I thought the the filming of her being upside down looking at everyone, I'll give him that, that I thought that was quite good. Of, you know, the, her sort of confusion or just the overwhelmingness of all these people looking at her. And- Looking like up here, like I didn't mind it. Like I was kind of on board. I thought, okay, it's a bit glossy and a bit like over the top, like we said with the acting, but I thought if we're going to do that as the intro and then it's going to get progressively darker, I'm in. Like, I wasn't, hadn't made my mind up yet at this stage. So you get the house tour with Miss Danvers. And like I said, the house just feels very claustrophobic. It's very busy. There's just stuff everywhere. And you have, you get to see her bedroom that they've renovated. And then there's the scene of her and Maxim playing footsie and they're making out and they're being really intimate. 
And then she starts having, she has this nightmare. She's in bed and she's dreaming of this woman in a red dress. Then Max is sleepwalking and she tries to follow him and Miss Danvers makes her stop. And then the next morning they're at breakfast and she tries to talk to Max about it and he sort of brushes her off. So she starts wandering around and she follows Jasper the dog and he leads her into Rebecca's study slash office. And she starts looking through her things and she sees this statue and she accidentally knocks it over and cuts her hand, but she feels ashamed of it. So she decides to hide it. And this is when I start to realize, oh, this is them trying to make it creepy because like the blood cutting her hand but it's not creepy. <laughs> like I can tell what you're trying to do. This is where it's meant to start feeling like it's getting dark, but it doesn't feel dark. It just doesn't, never hits the right mark. I feel like they could have got rid of the blood and just had like a really heightened state of panic. Yeah. And like, even like footsteps around her, like she thinks someone's coming or like something just to build a bit more tension, like rather than just like here's some blood. Yeah, blood's scary. <laughs> Um, let me know that. But she doesn't cut her hat. Like they didn't need to add that in. It's already tense enough if you do it in the right way. Just maybe her breathing or like her vision kind of starts to get, you know, she starts, she never, there's only one scene where she like full on panics, but you never feel her panic and her kind of her chest tightening and her breathing becoming hitching or something like that. The next day, and she sort of starts. There's the scene where she's with Miss Danvers and they're talking about the menu for the house. And I think this this next scene was the only scene that worked for me. And I feel like if they had done more of that, it would have really worked was when she's using Rebecca's hairbrush and she pulls Rebecca's hair out of the brush and the sound of the hair coming out of the brush. And just like the presence of it. Is, yeah, like that's, hey, could they not just buy a new hairbrush? Because yeah. that's quite important. That's why you never get so many things fucking monogrammed. Oh, <laughs> and everything. You can't get those away, Yeah, yeah. Ellie, when you... Actually, we don't know what her name is. Maybe she's an R as well. Maybe, yeah, but there's so many R's she could be. Yeah, but exactly. This doesn't say Rebecca, does it? This is R. Mm -hmm. So that's brilliant. Good. I mean, Ellie, when you die, don't you want the next his next partner to be able to use your stuff? You're going to have to go for an Emma. And then Ellie. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Elizabeth, there's loads of sexy Elizabeths. Mm, no. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll brainstorm okay. something. If, it, if she can't buy her own airbrushes, she's not one for But me. in the book, <laughs> he does buy her a new set of hairbrushes. Yeah, yeah. that's like, but like you say, I didn't mind the change because it was kind of creepy and it had like presence to it. Yeah. But buy her a new hairbrush, Maxon. Yeah, don't be so, he's a cheap guy. I got to say, he only wears one suit. He won't buy her a new set of hairbrushes. Not a good pick. So Max and her decide to go for a walk with Jasper and he runs off and she follows him and they, she finds the cottage and it's covered in, it has furniture inside and she sees the sign that says Je reviens and she's sort of walking around looking at everything and she, the dog goes to the curtain and she goes to pull back the curtain and the music starts to heighten and it's like, this is gonna be a scary moment. <laughs> pulls back the curtain, curtain and it's Ben with the dog. And again, it was like purposely, the, I think this was also like the music really was bad. 
and trying to match the tone of these scenes. And it was the music kind of jumped ahead of when you were supposed to be scared. So then when those events actually happened when, and when the suspense was there, it didn't work anymore. I do think it's hard to do like a suspense jump scare when you know what this, what you're building to. Because we, because you've read the book, yeah, true. You know, you know what the reveal is already. If I think if you're going in blind, that might be a bit more effective because you don't know what the reveal is. That is be. not true because you, all three of us, have read scary books and watched scary movies, and we've still been scared. I do agree that if you haven't read the book and you have no idea what's in the cabin, perhaps there was more of a shock. I watched it. it with three other people. None of them were scared. And they hadn't read the book. I'm just like you in. Tall- Sorry. You watch movies with tough people. But like, remember in tall the tall grass, the Stephen King one we did. Mm-hmm. We read that book. I was still scared when I was watching the film. It was like intense. Oh, I think you're on your own on that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and what are you talking about? The Lovecraft one? You weren't scared watching that film. Not I didn't really like that song. Not in particular. Okay. Guess I'm a wimp. <laughs> and then you get the start of. So I think he does this twice. He has the the groups of the starlings going over Mandalay. Mm, yeah. I guess it's meant to be like some sort of ominous symbol. The birds. The birds. <laughs> <laughs> and these, these known for like folk horror stuff, mm-hmm. and like. Essentially, he's doing Rebecca as a folk horror movie. Like, all the music is what like. What qualifies as folk horror? It's that kind of like rural English setting okay. with like horror tropes in a setting. Dash Abbey with ghosts. Not, not necessarily that, but like, it can be that. Okay. Um, I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Then do like, more the music... of that. There wasn't enough yeah. then, I think. Well, this is what I was saying at the start, though, where it feels like he's, he's doing. Try and do the two versions of this movie that Ben Wheatley could have done at once, and it undermines both of them respectively. Yeah. The sister Beatrice and her husband Giles and the grandmother arrive, and this is when the conversation comes about where she she thinks up of reviving the ball, where it suggests her. <laughs> <husband. laughs> this is when like it kind of loses the fact that like she's suddenly so bold. <laughs> I also really miss the building up of the relationship with Beatrice because like even the ornament like the whole reason she breaks that is because Beatrice sent her some books and she's trying to prop them up nicely and that's why it happens mm-hmm. like I feel like you just jump so far ahead like when as soon as I saw oh Granny's there like you don't meet her till two thirds of the yeah. way into the book like that the, the start scene in the movie is three scenes in the book yeah in one and it only lasts like two minutes. So I think you need the presence of like the neighbours and like the other people coming around and being like, oh, she used to do this. We all loved this. Like maybe you should do, you know, like she's, and also she's meant to be like constantly entertaining at home by herself. Maxim's kind of leave, leaving her. She doesn't really yeah. know how to conduct herself and you lose all of that. Yeah. The, the, the biggest problem with her pitching the idea of bringing back the ball is it's the only time that she shows any autonomy mm. and it undermines the character because mm. the character is meant to be this person who's like um, timid and shy and desperate just to like not say the wrong thing and to n- make people like her. Yeah. Um, but she's only had like one conversation with someone where they said the ball was good 
and now she's pitching, oh, I'm thinking about reviving the ball. No, you're not, mate. Your teeth get and you broke an ornament. Like, <laughs> you're not doing a ball. Yeah, you're right. It, it didn't make sense. It felt unnatural for her to make that statement. I mm-hmm. felt like they could have, if they didn't want to spend time introducing another character, they could have had maybe uh, be it Giles suggest it's like, oh, do you remember the great yeah. balls that Rebecca you did? Do it in that scene. Like, there's a bit where right after Gran said, Where's Rebecca? Where's my Rebecca? Giles is like, Oh, splendid about the ball, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Like, have him just pitch the idea to try and like break the awkward yeah. moment, yeah. you know? Waving it in differently. He gets Maxim gets sort of pissed off because the grandmother starts talking about Rebecca and he walks off into the rain this weird rain all the time and someone gives her a coat and it's you find out in a minute that it's Rebecca's coat and then there's the scene where she has to apologize about the porcelain that she broke it when uh, Mrs. Danvers tries to blame poor Robert for it She's not really as embarrassed as I felt like she should have been. She's quite, like, upset, and she finds the handkerchief of Rebecca in the jacket, and she starts, like, shaking and freaking out and then crumples the jacket in the handkerchief and throws it to the ground. I just think combining the day of Grandma's freak out and the day of the ornament undermines it as well, because you can take that the reason she's so upset about the ornament is because she's already had a very shitty day. Whereas they're two separate things that require, that, that have sort of built in their own way. Like, I don't know, I just felt like all of that was mashed together so we could get to the ball really quickly. Mm. I mean, I guess he's trying to compound the events to make her kind of break down more quickly. And I could, mm-hmm. I, I can understand the thought process of that, but it doesn't work. I just think that she's already upset. So the impact of the statue is less because she's already like mm. freaked out and crying and yeah, like I almost feel like if you're going to do that, you want more. Do you know what I mean? Like, like make it like the day from hell. Yeah, have yeah, like yeah. have like a hundred things go wrong. Well, I suppose then she finds the handkerchief, and I mean it's a shitty day. Yeah. yeah. So she decides to go walking by herself with Jasper, and she goes to back to the cottage, and she finds this photo of a mysterious man, and. Frank comes in because he's meant to lock up the cottage and they have this dialogue and he tells us her the story about how Rebecca died because she didn't know up until then. <laughs> this is this is my favourite moment of the movie. Really? This, this, oh, Frank. Just because she's having this conversation with, with Frank and says something to the effect of, I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest, Frank. And he's like, oh, that's unfair to ask me, but go on. And she's like, tell me, was Rebecca beautiful? And Frank goes, well, now I think of it, she was the most delightful, beautiful creature I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm like, cushion the blow a bit, Frank. Jesus, mate. Really, like, <laughs> but doesn't he, he <laughs> says that in the book, though. In the book, though, the way he handles it was a bit, uh, a bit easier. Whereas in the movie, it's like, it's like his third line in the movie yeah. is him saying how beautiful of a creature <laughs> she is. And it's the fact that he goes, well, now I think of it, she was the most beautiful creature I've ever he's seen. Also, the way he's so bashful about answering in the first mm-hmm. place, he's like, "Oh, I wouldn't want to overstep my boundaries." Yeah. And then he's like, "But she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen." It's just a bit, yeah. A bit I actually laughed that loud when that scene happened <laughs> in the movie. 
because he's taking the lines exactly from the book, it doesn't work because her and Frank have had such a buildup of their relationship. Like he's a confidant of hers. She goes, oh, she yeah, calls exactly. him and goes to him when she's stressed out. I think this is the first time in the movie we see the two of them alone yeah. together. Mm. <laughs> and so after that, she decides, okay, I'm going to go to the mysterious West Wing of the house. And there's this, I thought this was very weird. I, I kind of got the like house of mirrors type of thing they were doing. But when she walks into the room with the mirrors. We discussed this and I think, I think it stands. I didn't like it. I, those rooms do exist and are in those houses. So you can see your outfit from every angle. Like, I, I totally buy that being being. Yeah, I had a conversation about how to look good naked. Yeah. Did you ever watch that in the noughties no. where they made the woman stand in it so that she could see herself from every angle in her underwear and then she'd cry and they'd be like, but why, why do you hate your saggy ass? <laughs> and then, this is the kind of body confidence we were raised on in the UK. Yeah. Well, those rooms exist. I thought it was a good visual and I liked how... I liked what Rebecca's room was looked like. It did. It it was like it was all white, which is a sign of a psychopath. Anyone with <laughs> an all white room, the the R's embroidered on everything. She fucking loved her monogram. Yeah, she, she did. It just, her room looked like otherworldly in Ethereum, yeah. mm-hmm. and then in comparison, her room's lovely. Don't get me wrong, but like it's so drab and brown mm-hmm. and earthy. But I actually quite like that because that is. The vibe, like she's never gets anything as good as Rebecca. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. I mean, that's why it works. Oh, right, like, I see. And like, you turn Rebecca's room up to like, what's the most? It's all silver. <laughs> I saw it doing. It's all silver. Um, that really worked for me. That I think that was a very good bit of set design. Her room that was very well done. And I think that's why the fact that up until that point, the rest of the house feels very like standard, stately home. Like not in a horrible way, but it's just like oh, like it's panelled woods. Mm-hmm portraits everywhere and you get to her room and it's like this snow queen fucking room you know it just i think like the bedrooms it needed more extremes like that to work and feel the darkness of it so then she gets confronted with miss danvers and you have the this grand speech about rebecca and how how she loves her and how she lived her life and how amazing she was and she talks about um, when she would brush Rebecca's hair and how he would, mm. uh, Maxim would brush her hair as well. And then, you know, I, I didn't think it was bad where she then starts brushing her hair and sort of pulls it. I thought in. this was one of the best scenes between the two of them. I thought the scene was really good, actually. Yeah. They did have a good chemistry. So mm. she then has this nightmare of these vines attacking her from the ground. And I guess this is lends itself to the folk horror thing you're trying you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like all of the kind of dream sequences, and when we get to the bit, the ball in a bit, that's all so folk horror-y, Like, yeah. And she wakes up with she's been scratching herself, and she goes out, and the dog leads her to the man who is Jack Favell, who introduces himself straight away as the cousin, and. <laughs> how quickly she fell for him frustrated me so much so she's like okay very squirrely creepy looking man who i've never heard about i'm gonna get on a horse with you and you're gonna like kind of molest me just a struggle isn't it it was just like pawing at her and she 
didn't I would have like whacked him off the horse. <laughs> I think the intent was to be because he introduces himself as this living connection to Rebecca. She's yeah. like immediately kind of enthralled because the whole movie is her like trying to live up to Rebecca and living in this shadow and being kind of terrified of this presence. Mm. So as soon as there's like this tangible connection to her. It's quite, because he's probably the only one that will actually talk about her with any kind of, other than Danvers, who's like obviously- Yeah, yeah. And up until, up until the point where he says, oh, I shouldn't, Max wouldn't like the fact that I'm here. Don't tell him I was here. She's under the assumption that like, he is a friend of Max's like, this is Rebecca's yeah. cousin, like, he's come to visit, he knows Miss Danvers, like, he knows the horses and the grounds, like, he feels like he's at home there more yeah. than she is, so I think it's really easy to see why she just gets swept up and goes along with it. I thought it was weird they went horse riding, don't yeah, get me wrong, I thought that was really weird. <laughs> I thought that's a strange thing to add in, like, if it was true to the book, fair enough, but it's like, you've, you've made that happen and it didn't have to. Hmm. Well, he, he tries to allude that Maxim has this great temper that she will soon see and sort of undermine her perception of him. And he says not to tell him that he was there. And then she gets pissed off because she realizes that she's done something wrong and goes and tries to confront Miss Danvers about the fact that she invited him there. And then she's like, I did, he never came. What are you talking about? You're mad. And Maxim finds out that he was there and they get into a fight and he automatically accuses her of having an affair, which is unique to the book. And she then goes to confront Miss Danvers and <laughs> Miss Danvers had the nicest nightgown in comparison <laughs> to her having this like little paisley, like little girl yeah. pajamas. <laughs> You think her Danvers nightgown is meant to be one of Rebecca's? Maybe, because it was like this silk dress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past her to be just like wearing something of Rebecca's. That could be right. As like a weird connection. So, which I would think she would have clocked. Like she wears this like really cheap pajamas and then Miss Danvers is nicer <laughs> nightwear than she does. <laughs> And she tries to give her her notice, but then Miss Danvers tries to manipulate, manages to manipulate her. And she says she's been with Rebecca since she was a child and asks, says that they agree that they will help each other. So they sort of come to an understanding. And then she starts planning ball and you have these sort of flash sequences of her getting her shit together to be an adult and taking care of things and setting up the party. <laughs> it really bothered me because it was just so not believable that she was at this point in the story of being able to, for someone who knew nothing about this world, to suddenly be able to set up this perfectly run, you know, aristocratic party and then Clarice her maid who I loved her face Clarice <laughs> oh Clarice she's had a terrible time and Clarice suggests that she wear the dread red dress of this painting that she was introduced to in the beginning of the film and she's like so interested as to why they made the dress red yeah 
I think maybe Hitchcock nod, just like a horror movie trope, I guess. Having... Yeah, well, just like because Rebecca's in the red dress too. In a, well, Rebecca, yeah. whoever this dream Because mm-hmm. in the book, it's a white dress, which mm. sort of white symbolizes more virginal, and mm. I guess it's more like red is more of a sexual person. Maybe it's meant to be something like that. Just thought it was an interesting choice. Well, it wasn't really a great dress in comparison to painting. I don't think it was anything to be blown away by. And then you get like another shot of the starlings flying ominously over Mandalay. (laughs) And then it's the party and she comes down posing like the woman in the painting with the wig and everyone's shocked and Maxim gets pissed at her and shouts at her. And I felt like at this point, the character just feels very willfully naive because she's meant to have started showing a spine, yet she still falls for this trick. Whereas in the book is more believable because she hasn't really kind of grown to her full self at that point. The only thing the movie does is have Clarice present the idea to her rather yeah. than Danvers. Mm-hmm. I think that they established that she likes Clarice and like, I think she would take her her opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's stupid as well because Clarice knows nothing. Like we're told, well, I don't, I can't think it's established that much in the film, but in the book, isn't it? Like she's, she comes from one of the households on the estate or something that like she's not a trained lady's maid. Yeah. yeah but and they, that's why she likes her. But they, they established that she doesn't know what that means. Because when Danvers first introduces her mm. in the movie, she goes, oh, why can't she just be my yeah. my lady yeah. or whatever it is, my maid? Yeah. Um, she doesn't understand the kind of uh, etiquette and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So she has a breakdown over this and tries to hide in her room. And then the sister Beatrice tries it. She comes and comforts her. And she's like, you know... We'll just say that you're just alive or it didn't fit or something and we'll get you something else and just come down. It's better than hiding out. What was that dress that they gave her to wear? So bad. Although I do have to say I'm very glad they changed Beatrice and Giles' costume. Yes, it would have been very offensive. <laughs> there was a few. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't want to excuse it, but it's kind of just of its time, I guess. Yeah, it's very tonally insensitive yeah. now. Um, her dress, like the dress they put her to come to what is meant to be like the event of the season yeah. is the worst thing she wears in the entire movie. Yeah. Like she could have worn like Rebecca's garden <laughs> and looked nice. Yeah, she could have worn any of the other normal outfits she's worn in the end. The outfit she's wearing when they're preparing for the ball is lovely. <laughs> but she yeah. comes down in what no, looks like yeah. she comes down in what looks like a nightie. It, that's what I said. It I looks know. like a nightgown. <laughs> She's got, I guess, she's got like a scrubbed face where she's been crying. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to make her look very young and like broken down again, but yeah. She would have chosen a better dress. Like she's not that stupid. Especially because they're they're not saying that like she's in in her like, after this shock to her system, she's put this on. Mm. Beatrice, who until this point is like, got stuff done. In fairness, Beatrice doesn't strike me as a fashionista. No, but she, she comes to help her and knows the importance of this ball. It looks like she's just gone, this'll do. <laughs> maybe, maybe she has it because she's not a like dress but she's like all about like riding, going on the hunt with the guys. Like she's not a you know No, but she grew up in this society. Yeah. Do you understand that you can't wear a nice I'm just trying to explain. 
because I like it. I mean, I like the costumes, but I also didn't like the costumes. They didn't always fit tonally in the scenes. Especially, like, you see her standing next to a woman who's dressed like Marie Antoinette, and you're like, are you in the same film? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, is, is, is that just the most obvious she's out of her element, she doesn't belong visual metaphors? I think there could have been a way to make her look more childlike, because in the book, he makes a really good comment about like she should have dressed like Alice in Wonderland, like looking like this yeah. very girly, innocent, like something like that. I think if they had an ode to that look, would have worked better. She then fought, she's out of her mind, upset, and she starts seeing Rebecca's ghost and she starts following her. And this is again is meant to be this like very manic scene where. She has the crowd surrounding her, chanting. She's freaking out, stumbling around. In the book, it's described like it's marionettes with these sort of really insane smiles on their faces, like dancing around her. And you have the fireworks going off. And then is this a scene where, oh, this is a scene where Danvers confronts her and she sort of has the breakdown where she collapses in the mirror room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a climax of sorts in when it just becomes too much for her. And oh yeah, so this is when she tries to jump out of the window where Danvers is kind of, she's not pushing her, but she's whispering in her ear of how she'll never be good enough. I was never worried. No, the the book has way more peril Mm. to it. This felt... um, there's so much of this like kind of condensed. The book only has like an extra chapter to kind of let this breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we've had like quite uh, surreal kind of dreamlike sequences until this point, like them chanting and dancing around her, her chasing this like unseen figure throughout the house, it makes you feel like this scene isn't happening either. This is kind of more in her head. Whereas in the book, there's that break of it's the next morning she wakes up, she feels a bit better mm-hmm. and then has a confrontation with Danvers where she's trying to convince her to kind of off herself essentially. Yeah. Um, this felt a bit too, a bit too jumbled. Then sort of, then in the nick of time, you hear these sort of rockets flare, these going off and they realize something's happened at, the cove and they found a boat and it's Rebecca's boat and there's a body that was in the boat they do not fuck about with this no. this is like three chapters in the book <laughs> and it's about 90 seconds of on screen time you get, like in the book you get that whole like family that's there on a picnic and like yeah. a little boy going to watch yeah, yeah you, you get well there are like, two boats in the book <laughs> remember well there is a oh yeah there is another boat that both boats are in this but you don't see the other one enough to get that point across. Yeah. Mm. Like another boat has been sculled, but by the time we get to the beach, we see that for two seconds. Rebecca's boat gets pulled out. We see a diver for two seconds and a body being carried out. Yeah, they never really talked about the fact of the other boat at all. They never mentioned it. This is kind of extraneous. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't miss it massively. No, they, I, I'm very happy for them to get rid of that because it was a lot of the book, slightly unnecessarily mm. so. And then, sorry, where are we? So then you have her at the dining room table with everyone of the household and Maxim's been with the police and 
she hasn't seen him since the events of this and she's worried about him and she goes out to find him in the cottage and this is the whole confrontation between them where he reveals what has happened that he's hated her she was having tons of affairs the cottage was actually her love shack and she had was inviting people over there and that he had she had was actually already dead and the boat was sunk to cover it up and he he tries to get her to kill him like with the gun holding it to himself and she decides this is I think this is in the book and I think it would have worked a little bit better in the film is this is when she decides like I'm gonna kind of grow into my own because when she says the line that she hasn't won and then you automatically get to the scene where it it goes quickly to the scene of where she's putting on the yellow coat looking at herself in the mirror and I think that she's sort of it's meant to show she's finally seeing herself as a worthy adult like she can deal with the situation she's ready and it's meant to parallel I guess with him in the yellow suit at the beginning that lovely yellow suit and then you get the inquest proceedings which (laughs) was a little bit weird because it was like is this meant to be a courtroom drama? This whole latter bit of the movie is is bizarre to me. I really didn't like it. It felt just the wrong tone. She helps him at the proceedings and kind of takes control of the situation as he's meant to be unraveling. And then Jack confronts Maxim and brings a letter that she wrote to him about wanting to meet that night. And... It's very bizarre because it really isn't very great evidence against him because it doesn't really say anything. It's more against Jack. Whereas in the book, they kind of brush him off and they automatically call the magistrate to, you need to come help us deal with this. Whereas in the film, they give in to the blackmail. They suggest Yeah. Yeah. Like, they suggest, she suggests immediately how much this is going to cost. Like... So fucking bizarre. What a weird choice Mm. to make. And so he blackmails, well, 10K he says he wants. And then you skip to Miss Danvers taking the stand and she then divulges that they were going to pay Jack Danvers 10K and also is revealed the possible pregnancy by Jack Favell. And everything sort of starts to go into disarray and they arrest Maxim. And she goes back to the house and confronts Danvers and then she, Danvers leaves with Jack. And Lily brings to the rescue. Yes. So then she speeds off to the doctors in London because she finds, they find the, in her diary, the doctor's details and she finds the file. She's sneaking around and then the cops find her sneaking around and they find, so they discuss the file. She never gets into trouble for this. <laughs> No, they're very chill about this. <laughs> and it was revealed that she, uh, Rebecca actually had cancer and would have died not long after this diagnosis. So they realize, oh, well, this is grounds for suicide. And her husband is released from prison. She sees Jack for one last time. And then they make out in the car together because they're going to live happily ever after <laughs> until Miss Danvers sets fire to the house. And there it's chaos. And then she runs off because she realizes what Danvers has done. And she goes to the cottage and she sees Danvers. And 
Danvers has her last line. I think it's like, uh, he took away the only thing I ever loved. Mandalay was a ours, which is true in the sense of the book that Mandalay was Rebecca. So it does have to burn in a sense. And then she wakes up in her bed dreaming of Mandalay and they're in Cairo and then they're having sexy time. <laughs> Your favorite line oh. of the film, wasn't it? You loved this bit. What was the it? The only thing worth walking through flames for. <gasps> oh! Then, like, poor Daphne du Maurier did not write no. that. I think I think it was in the original draft. <laughs> Pretty sure. Pretty sure. And it's not. It's not even that line. It's about that after that. She has to almost look to the camera and go, "Love." Yeah, it was all for love. Yep, yeah, got it. I knew that. So I knew it was a really, <laughs> oh, really hammer. I could have been like on the fence with the whole film until that point, and then no. I. Yeah. It would have been better if it just ended with Miss Danvers committing suicide. Now I was it. I honestly like just show me Mandel on fire. Yeah. That's all I need. That's all I needed from yeah. the book. Because everything after that is terrible. Yeah. Doesn't add anything. Like the confrontation with Danvers. Even Danvers, yeah. Don't, you don't need it. Like, especially because she she jumps into the ocean and then we see her in the ocean. Like, she's not weighed down. She hasn't jumped no. onto rocks. She's just in the water. <laughs> if she can swim, she's, she's fine. fine. Like, yeah, we both said this. We were like, that's not going to kill her. Like, that's yeah. the point. She's not dying from it. Yeah, like, don't show him. Don't show her in the water. Don't show her jump. It's like she's going for a wild swim. Like, yeah, she'd be fine. Yeah, a bit cold. But they needed to establish that she couldn't have swum earlier yeah. for me to. Oh, Rebecca never learned to swim, so nor did I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he. I don't know if. Well, maybe not him necessarily, but the people making the film didn't get the book. But there's a lot of them. You know, like, we're three people yeah. who read the book and have had, like, a fairly similar consensus on the vibe. Yeah. Whereas, presumably, well, dozens of people read the book and adapted it into this film. Yeah. Or working on it. And none of them got the same vibe as us. Because it, it's a rom romance. It's not a thriller at all. Because mm. it's, yeah, I mean, it's like a psychological thriller, so it's not horror-horror, but... It just has no emotional depth, and it's at it's at the cost of the emotional depth is having a very vi visually beautiful film. It looked great, I'm like, and there, there were definitely good bits of it. Like, I'm not saying the whole thing was atrocious, but mm. there are a lot of choices that I would question having read the original. Maybe if I hadn't seen the original, I would. No, the people the I watched it with were like, that was very. Oh, really? It's very predictable. It's very plain. The story mm. just didn't have any. Failed to communicate any substance. There was no tension, which the whole book is tension. Yeah. And I think enough yeah. people, even if you haven't read it, it's something, it's in Zeitgeist, you are aware of Rebecca. You know it's meant to be this sort of thriller story. It's a lot mm. of suspense. It needs to be creepier. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't creepy. At, there was never, the only moment, and I mentioned it before, was the hairbrush, I think, was the closest it got yeah. to creepy for me. But there's so many little things in the book that I think if you'd heighten that in the film, like I talked about the nail biting and something like that, some of those yeah. physical things. It's a little more subtlety. It's a bit overblown for me. But it did look nice. It did, but yeah. And it just, the acting wasn't great. I mean, Kristen Scott Thomas, I, I think she was the best, but, you know, she's meant to be gawky and naive. Lily James. 
could never be called gawky <laughs> or plain. She's too pretty and put together. Yeah. Lost. Sorry? Florence Pugh. Oh, Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh in that main role. No, she's pouty like Lily James, I feel like. But she's got like she's got like a younger naive vibe. Yes. And she's got teeth as well, but she's Amy. Oh no! The sister who, the actress who plays the sister who dies, she would have been good. Oh, Beth, Beth, her, because she's like mousy, but still like you. And she's in every other adaptation we bloody watch, so she might as well be. She was in Deborah's time as well. She would have been great. That the because she plays that very innocent woman that he marries. So I think that's in my mind more of what I'm seeing. Like she's still pretty, but just. She's no Rebecca. <laughs> She's not meant to be a Rebecca. This, this just felt like a very nicely shot BBC Sunday night movie. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I can imagine two part drama, one on one Sunday, one on the next. Yeah, exactly that. I still would have hated the ending. Yeah, I hated the yeah. ending. I could have almost forgiven everything else, but the end just really, that kind of made me angry at the rest of it. Yeah. I feel like it was some person in the corporate structure was like we can't just end it at this tragic note we have to show the couple uh, them together having moved on from the tragedy of Manderley we need a happy ending just give it to me about that line I, I would have liked that ending more if we cut straight from Manderley on fire mm. to that scene I think it's the that bridge bit in the middle where we've got the kind of them escaping the burning building mm. The confrontation with Danvers, her jumping off. It still gets a bit messy. Yeah, I think if you see Mandy on fire, then we cut to her repeating the line of, I dreamt I was in Mandy again last night. She wakes up in Cairo. Because then you can draw your own conclusions about what happened. Yeah, that's a bit neater, I think. Um, And then if you cut love and just end on walk through the flames, at least that's a fucking metaphor. Well, also, I did think they were going to make her pregnant. Yeah. I don't think, so, you know, you could have read it that if you didn't say love, West Coast love, and then, you know, you love the children, yeah. probably. But it should have come for a massive twist ending. Had Danvers wake up in bed with Winter <laughs> in Cairo. Oh, that would have been great, actually. <laughs> I'd pack in. I just can't get away from them in the prologue of the book, of just the way she describes the, what they've lived through. We all of us have had our own particular devil who rides us and torments us, and we must give battle in the end. We have conquers ours, or so we believe. The devil does not ride us anymore. We have come through our crisis, not unscathed, of course. Things like it. I was really scared you were going to read the flames line, and I was going to laugh off. She did write it. No, like, whilst that's very nice. Oh, like, yeah. Walking through the flames for love. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> I am scared that someone's going to tell me. No, no, that's in the book. But I'm uh, <laughs> you have the e- you could if you have the ebook. What's it? The we last the line is wait, wait. But the the sky on the horizon was not dark at all. It was shot with crimson, like a splash of blood, and the ashes blew towards us with the salt wind from the sea. Yeah, lovely, that's an amazing ending. Beautiful. I'm just going to search Rebecca. But that they they come out so unscathed at the end. They're living their best life. In Cairo. <laughs> Just having sex all the time, looking hot. 
Whereas, you know, he's a hot mess and she's having to just take care of him. You'd both be pretty messed up after that, I think. Yeah. Like, A, okay, if you have seen Danvers kill herself, that's a really traumatic thing to have seen. And you're very relaxed, you know. Yeah. Having having seen all these atrocities. Yeah, no, it's just, it's too plain. It's for something so beautiful. It's a plain film because it just smothers all the intricacies that make this such an unbelievable book. Any yeah. more opinions, Sean? Boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you should just edit this whole conversation out and just have that. Boring. <laughs> boring. On yeah. the loop. Right. Well, the book and the film. No, no, the the the, the book wasn't boring. The the, the narrative structure of the book is is good. I think I would have edited it a bit. I think it was a bit too verbose for me. Oh no! Apologies. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. The extra hour is really getting me. But yeah, the the movie I thought was. Um, what happened? It's well, so bizarre. It had a couple of scenes, couple of scenes which are good. Looked great, like one or two good performances, mm -hmm. but like it definitely had some like shining moments. But it was overall, I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. And it it always does feel like great directors, and you have to also talk about screen play writers. People are adapting it. The more, and I we've seen this suffer. The more you get to, closer to like the Hollywood echelon, the top tier. The worse it gets because any sort of real creative spirit disappears because you have so many layers of people interfering so there's no vision like this had no vision you would not as someone who's seen his films if you didn't know he directed it would you know that it was him there was wheatley by the end i think i could have taken a punt that it was wheatley um the, just all the folk horror touches would have would have made me think that like all the kind of music which feels like it's straight out of um but the Wicker Man um, feels very weakly. My my problem, my own personal problem with it is, but there's been adaptations we've seen before where, with like, you can think of like a single change they could have made, which would have completely kind of rejuvenated or saved it. There's so many things I would have wanted to kind of adjust about this to make it kind of work for me. Um, because like, so I, th I feel like, oh, if you recast the two leads, maybe that makes it better. But even if you just have better performances, does that save the rest of it? Not really. Yeah, I think it was just too much focus on the aesthetic instead of the tone. And the, the yeah. writing and the direction just wasn't very good for what it was meant to be I mean even if it wasn't based off a book and I was just watching it I don't think I would find it very interesting the mm. glossiness doesn't hide the flaws of the film the glossiness would only have been interesting if it was juxtaposed with some really like harsh tense like you know yeah. creepy moments and it just didn't have that side to it but could you me. could yeah. you watch it as just like a romance yeah and enjoy it no, no. But like, I get what you're saying. Like fluffy Sunday night drama. Could, what it's probably got into it. But I think because I was expecting so much more, it it just felt like it kept coming to like an anticlimax mm -hmm. to these really tense moments, and then it's kind of falling away. Like it 
was too it was scared in itself like it was haunted by the ghost of alfred hitchcock <laughs> and the book he was haunted by his own rebecca <laughs> he could never fill the shoes of her it is a tall order like i wonder why they did decide to remake it like it doesn't need i haven't actually seen the hitchcock one but everyone always says it's such a classic and so iconic mm. did it actually need to be remade we say this about all the films that we watch well yeah <laughs> and I think we're going to say this about the next one we do. <laughs> so, to close off, our Rose and Thorns. Me? Yeah, you. Oh, okay. Book, I mean, all of the writing. Like, I just thought it was so amazingly written. I really, I really enjoyed the story, all the creepiness, all the tension. There's actually, there's one particular bit that I really loved, which is when she's talking about the grammar and she's talking about age and she's talking about, I can't remember the specific lines, but it's just like a really beautiful passage of like, how if we knew what we would be in old age, how we would live our lives and all this kind of thing. Um, so I'm gonna have that as my rose. I can't remember exactly, but it was just really nice. Um, for, for the benefit of the tape, yeah. uh, Ellie is lying now to sound cool than she is. <laughs> That's not her real rose. Oh, Jasper. Jasper's her real rose. Obviously Jasper. Oh yeah, I mean, there's always has to be some sort of animal or pet in what yeah. we do. Otherwise you don't join in. <laughs> Number one, Jasper. Number two, Bruce. Okay. <laughs> uh, my pit of the book was probably just that opening passage, just because I really struggled to get past it. And then once I was in, I was more invested. Mm -hmm. uh, the film, I guess just how it looks, like it is really beautiful. Um, and I really love Beatrix. I thought Keely Hawes was actually really good mm -hmm. in that role. Beatrice, Beatrice. Yeah. And uh, my... Thorn was that end line, which I just can't forgive. Sean? I'll do movie first. Oh. My thorn of the movie uh, was the kind of change to the court proceedings. It felt really bizarre, the choices they made to change those scenes um, from her offering to black, blackmail themselves, essentially, the fact that, like, the prosecutor, like, was, like, hounding him, whereas in the book they feel very much like they want to help Maxim. I think they're on the same side in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas this feels much more confrontational. And then the whole Lily James to the rescue, Maxim in prison, she goes and breaks into a doctor's house to steal the results to save yeah. the day. It was very jarring for me. Um, what I liked about the movie... You didn't hate it all. There were scenes that you said were good and... There were scenes that were good. Um, I, I, I do quite like folk horror-y things such as the Wicker Man stuff. So the scene when they're chanting did work for mm -hmm. me. But I, like, it was a bit jarring only really having that one scene of like properly heightened folk horror stuff. Yeah. And then it really dipped off in terms of that. But I thought that was visually quite interesting and very much in Ben Wheatley's Wheelhouse, which is your favourite thing for me to say, I know. Sean says Wheelhouse a lot and it really cracks me up. He only ever says it here. Does it make you, do uh, you think it makes you sound smart? No, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I said that much, but any, any, you know. in terms of the book, um, <laughs> Long chapters, hate long chapters. Wait, wait, they're really Two. short. Nope, long. Yeah, they are. Long. They're like all less than five pages. I think it's all 
based on perspective. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm I was reading it digitally, and it where the way it breaks it down on iBooks is different. Okay. But for instance, when we did Devil All the Time, mm -hmm. chapters ranged from seven to twenty seven pages. Okay. In this, they were like forty to seventy. No, I mean my book, they're because I have this like kind of digest small size, they were very they felt really short. Small font though, small font. Um, which made me read like a chapter. I read a chapter and was like, that'll do. But whereas with Devil Time, I'd read like nine chapters and it wouldn't feel like anything. Um, my rose of the book is the scene when Favelle tries to blackmail them. And Matt is the best scene of Maxim where he's like, I'm not fucking having this. Yeah. And like, yeah, that is good when it calls his blood. I thought that like that felt very much in character. Like, he knew where he stood mm -hmm. in that hierarchy and was like, nope, I'm taking charge. Everyone else back down. Get Ben down here. Get yeah. Danvers down yeah. here. We're driving to see this doctor. Yeah. I'm taking charge of this. Um, I, I, I loved that scene. From that, that from that scene on, I read the whole, the whole rest of the book straight through because that really grabbed me. I think for the book, start with, my favorite scene was what I talked about earlier when he notices her mimicking Rebecca because that's when mm -hmm. the her imagination kind of starts to seep out because you as a reader we've been in our head and we've seen her going into these really descriptive visuals of what she thinks Rebecca's life was like and her paranoia about it so I loved that description I mean just the entire the language and her writing is a masterpiece and I didn't, I felt like the scene with Jack is a little overridden. Like there's just, it could have tightened up even more for me. Cause I was sort of like, okay, come on, let's get going. And then for the film, again, I mentioned, I love the hairbrush thing, scene. I, I wanted more of that tone in the film and there was so much I just didn't enjoy. I think it was just their relationship, how heavy he handed the direction of making it this stereotypical romantic period relationship because he was making the relationship that she's making fun of in her book. He's making the Jane Eyre romance that she would never have written. Mm -hmm. She would never write that type of relationship, which was really frustrating. It could have worked if we only saw that when they're in Monte Carlo. And then it shifts. And we got to Mandley. We, I think we should have only ever seen Maxim when he's been a dick to yeah. her from that point on. Like, we shouldn't have seen any of the bits where they were like playing footsie and kissing. Yeah. I think you'll bang on. Yeah. And that's it. I really, really recommend the book to anyone. I'm going to try and see if I can eventually watch the Alfred Hitchcock version because I'd like to see what he did. I know they do change a lot in the ending of the film and it's three hours long, <laughs> but I'm interested to see his, his perspective. <laughs> I, do, I do think it needs that time to breathe though. Mm -hmm. Two parts, two parts, two parts. I'll watch it. <laughs> that can be a Sunday night drama. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I don't know if I would recommend the film. I guess to people who just like kind of glossy looking pretty movies and don't need a lot of substance, like, sure. <laughs> it's a pity. I think it's top five in, on Netflix, though. It's doing really well. 
I think a lot of people love the book that I had a lot to live up to. Tons of and people I, I know have read the book. Was it a school book? Mm, I didn't read it. So Maybe. No. Okay. Well, thank you guys.